This is the Education Gadfly Show. Earlier, I called him the, uh, what, Scrooge, but then I said maybe Grinch is better. But what do you think is worse? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Scrooge of Education Policy, Now, Robert Pendicio. Now, that is just unfair. All right, I was going to go with uh, the, the Grinch. Um... Uh, Tiny Tim. I, I don't know. I'm kind of trying to, I'm struggling uh, to come up with a Christmas met- metaphor. Bob Cratchit. That's better. There we go. I'm yeah, just the, teasing, the, Robert. Know, that's unfair. That's unfair. Maybe the Grinch, because at the end of the story, his heart grows three by sizes. Three sizes. There. Okay, I'll, I'll accept. And by the end so. of this podcast, your heart will grow three sizes. <laughs> How about that? Well, welcome, everybody. You know, many people have already given up on education policy for the year. Not us. Not here at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. We are going strong right in to the new year, but this is a special edition of our podcast an end of 2015 and looking ahead to 2016 special podcast the crystal ball edition yes exactly okay. so let's do it clara let's play pardon the gadfly mike and robert what do you think was the big biggest education story of 2015 esea reauthorization the first round of common core testing the continuing battles over charter schools or something else? What a great question. You go first, Robert. What What do you um, pick? You know, there there is a tendency, and I'm an old news hand, so there's a tendency to think that the most recent thing is the biggest yeah. thing. So we're all talking about uh, ESSA, which mm-hmm. we now have to learn to say uh, instead of ESEA. So there's a tendency to think that's the biggest story. I'm not so sure about that. Um, I, I guess I think Common Core testing might be a reasonable good good bid there because mm-hmm. this, this was kind of the cold shower year where we finally got a real clear picture on how our kids are actually doing and no surprise it was you know sobering but not unexpected mm-hmm. ESEA might be the biggest story of 2016 we can talk about mm-hmm. that later but I'm, I'm kind of thinking uh, common core testing and, and maybe a sidebar for the Washington charter school issue mm-hmm. which did two things I think one it showed a, a, that, that the, the battle is not necessarily over charter schools remain controversial but if you really take a step back they're here to stay and maybe that's the big story of the mm-hmm. year this is the year that charter schools are, are just beyond dispute a permanent part of the educational landscape. All right, there you go. Well, I'm glad you said that because I have to admit, I was disappointed you mentioned the Common Core testing because I was going to say that. Oh, I okay. think you're right, though. I, I mean, everything look, I learned. We have been new. waiting for this since 2010, yeah. right, to have these new tests roll out uh, and to have these new cut scores. And here's the big news. You know, we finally appear to have closed the honesty gap, right, mm-hmm. or put the proficiency illusion uh, out the of rear view mirror. In the rearview mirror. I mean, this is a huge deal. Obviously, yeah. for Fordham, we, we have been banging on this drum since at least 2007 about the concern that state proficiency cut scores were way too low, mm-hmm. and that was uh, misleading parents and kids uh, into thinking they were doing fine. And it's been quite remarkable. You know, every single state has dramatically raised their cut scores. There was one state, our home state of Ohio, go figure, that did not go as high as they should have. But otherwise, it has been remarkable. We finally have achieved something many of us really fought for for many years, which is to put those proficiency cut scores in the neighborhood of of true college readiness in the neighborhood of NAEP. It's a big deal. 2015, the year we finally told the truth. There it is. Now we'll see if it turns out to be 2015, the only year we told the truth, <laughs> or, or if these things are going to stand. I'm the Grinch. And yes, exactly. Okay, topic number two. At the start of the year, you declared 2015 the year of curriculum reform. 
did it live up to your expectations? Did I say 2015, Mike? I meant 2016 uh-huh. is the year of curriculum reform. Oh, come on, Robert. <laughs> There's some good news. No, there really is. Um, look, I mean, this is this is not a secret to anybody who listens to us regularly. I'm I'm always the relentless guy who bangs on the curriculum drum saying, okay, yeah, charters, choice, teacher quality, data, all that. That's great. Can we talk about what teachers teach, what kids learn? Um, my active optimism, yours with cut scores, mine is that Common Core would finally usher in an era not necessarily of a curriculum reform or a curriculum renaissance, but we would finally get to the point uh, where we would take curriculum seriously as a reform lever. Let's look at what actually is going on in schools and see if we can improve that. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of my prognostication ability, I'll give myself a C plus. I think I heard a lot more discussion about curriculum mm-hmm. this, this year. Uh, serious people taking it more seriously as a lever. We saw a couple of good studies that came out mm-hmm. uh, about it this year. Um, but no, look, I, I just to be serious about it, I just don't think any 12-month uh, time period is enough to, to, to create the, the kind of momentum you need. But I do think we're heading in the right direction, and I think we'll see more of it next year. You know, the, the, here's the question. I mean, we, we do hear more about it, and there's some big charter networks that have mm-hmm. embraced this. We hear about KIPP working to develop a common core line curriculum. Yeah, Achievement First. Achievement First has really gotten religion on the content-rich curriculum. Maybe it's happening out there in some some school districts, including some big school districts, and we just don't hear about it. I don't know. I mean, look, I worry that the typical American elementary school still mm-hmm. teaches almost zero history, science, uh, geography, art, art and music, music until until the kids are maybe in third, fourth, fifth grade. They're yep. certainly not doing it in my kids' school, even though they think that they are doing Common Core line work. Now, maybe they will look at the park results or the smarter balance results or these other test results and finally notice the 57 words you like so much in Common Core. It says something like, hey, dummies, uh, you want to teach kids how to read? Content, stupid. Can't just do decoding or stupid drills about find the main idea. You actually have to teach them something. And guess what? What elementary school teacher doesn't want to be the guide to the universe? David Coleman's words. Yep. Nice phrase. Uh, And yet, I I feel like, look, we're we're like, uh, you know, we're talking to ourselves about this. No, I look, I don't think we are. I think, uh, and you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make some news, but, but listen to this space in 2016, we'll be making some, some announcements, uh, about an initiative that we're going to launch here at Fordham to try to encourage schools to do more of this, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But look, if, and this will sound cynical, I don't mean it to, if nothing else, I think we're getting to the point where a lot of, uh, thoughtful people in our world are, are, are ready to embrace this simply because everything else has been disappointing. Mm-hmm. So like, what was Churchill who said about uh, democracy? It's, it's, uh, the best best possibility once all the others have been exhausted. I think that was about America, that yeah. America would do the right thing once, uh, once okay. after the yeah. uh, other options there were you exhausted. Go. So, yes. so I think uh, all roads lead to so curriculum. So you're because... comparing that this is World War Three. Is that what you're oh, saying? Oh, no, I didn't say that. All right. Okay. Topic number three. What do you think the big news in 2016 will be? Huh. You want to go first? You know, so yeah, this is always tough, right? The black swan, what is out there that we don't know about, right? Uh, look, uh, there's no doubt that the press will be interested in implementation sure. of ESSA, though it's going to be a lot of a hurrying up and waiting. I mean, there's going to be right. a long period here, probably eight or nine months, for us just to wait to see something to come out of the Department of Education yep. with their interpretation of uh, you know how this is supposed to go, what what the the guardrails are for states, and they, whether to see if the Hill thinks the, the department 
goes too far in trying to regulate. Right. Uh, the Department of Education is supposed to have its hands tied uh, when it comes to implementation. We'll see how that all goes. Uh, but what else? Well, I do think uh, to, to, to play on that theme, I think that will be the big story of 2016, but it will be 50 stories, right? Mm-hmm. It will not just be one. Uh, and I think it's a very, very exciting time to be, you know, to be you and me, as it were, mm-hmm. as observers, and hopefully help, you know, some states think through some of the, the, their their implementation efforts. Uh, However, this- Robert, the, the point, though, is they really can't do anything yet. I mean, they can't, for example, no. put pen to paper on redesigning their state accountability systems uh, or interventions. Or Not I mean, they got to wait sure. for the department. Now, the one thing they can do pretty much immediately, as far as I can tell, is start dismantling their teacher evaluation systems right. because those are not in the bill. Uh, and uh, you know, I guess the, the waivers expire in August so they can get ready that uh, on August 1st, they can either have no teacher evaluation system or a very different one than the one the feds required. Right. But my point is that this is a really good time to be a state level policymaker, to have the opportunity to think some of these things through. And it really moves the center of gravity and the center of innovation to, to the state level. And we may, this may become uh, a, a good time uh, to be in that world and to really think creatively and out of the box about how to move the needle for kids. All right. That, that's all true. Okay. You know what the uh, real big story of 2016 is going to be? Star Wars. The, uh, that's 2015, Robert. You would know that if you were in tune with pop culture. All right. Friedrichs, the Friedrichs Supreme Court case oh, yeah. uh, in June, Absolutely. probably we'll get a decision and most likely the Supreme Court will turn every state in the country into a right to work state, you think at least so? when it comes to public employees. Oh, yeah. All right. You heard it here first. And uh, well, no, actually, you didn't hear it for here first. Other okay. people have been saying this, too, uh, right. much smarter than I am. But yeah, this is a big deal. What it's going to say most likely uh, is that. Uh, teacher unions cannot charge these agency fees mm-hmm. to non-members. What that means for teachers is that, you know, in the past, choosing to be a part of the member union or not, it was a matter of maybe a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. You can pay a thousand dollars to be a part of the union, or you can pay nine hundred bucks to not be a part of the union, right? Right. Now it's going to be a thousand bucks to be a part of the union or zero. I want to go back to uh, my teaching days as a full-time teacher in New York City. I want all of those those fees back from from my union, which I never joined. Yeah. And all they ever did for me was try to get me fired. So, you know, the unions seem to be, look, they're on a roll right now. I mean, they, they were very happy with how ESSA came out. They also, in the budget deal that just passed, were able to get the Cadillac tax delayed, mm-hmm. which is a huge deal for teachers because many of them have these pr- pretty luxur- luxurious healthcare plans that are costly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that tax is delayed. So they, they are on a roll. We'll see how much win this takes out of their sales when suddenly they lose a bunch of members and money. I'm sorry. Was I giggling there? Was that uh, the, the, You were smirking for those of you who, uh, who are not following us uh, on camera. Yes. Okay. So there you, that, that's my bet. Yeah, Free no, I think that's a really, and I, for I, you, you're saying Essa. Um, well, I, I think uh, a lot of the thought and energy will go into that, but I think in terms of actual hard news, yeah, I, I think you're right. Okay. Well, you heard it. Uh, you heard it here. Not necessarily first, but, but you did hear it here. Right. <laughs> All right. That is all the time we have for part of the Gadfly. Now it is time for everyone's favorite, a special edition of Amber's Research Minute. (music) 
Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Which you think is worse? I called Robert earlier. I called him the, uh, what, Scrooge. But then, then I the said Grinch. maybe Grinch is better. But what, what do you think is worse? Well, doesn't the Grinch get nice at the it's end and he grows okay. a big heart? That's okay. exactly what we said. Yes. Are, you, are you implying that I need to grow a big heart, Amber? No. Was I even okay. in the room when this, this was discussed? No, no, no I think you're right. I, I think Grinch is, is better. The Scrooge never gets better. Is that? Uh, uh, of course he does. He does. He does. Right. He oh, does. after he, he does. gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. But you don't get to see his heart like grow and pop out of his chest. I just always love that. Yeah, that would be Jacob part. Marley. I wear the chains I forged in life. Yes. All right. So Amber, this is a special edition and I understand you came with a special research minute. I'm so excited because I got to go through all the research minutes of last year and Mike said, oh, just pick your favorite. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm not picking one, right? Okay. So I've got, I promise I'll go fast. Because so this is your favorite research minute of 2015? research minutes. Top five, okay? I'm <laughs> okay. going to be fast. Right. And, and, and if you get bored, say, okay, Amber, keep moving along. Okay. All right, honorable mention number five, okay? So this was in June and we focused on kids born, this was a study focused on kids born in the 50s and 60s and they found that white and black five-year-olds with access, you guys remember this one, mm-hmm. to Sesame Street. Yeah. How cool was that? Because their TV had access to the signal that carried Sesame Street, um, that they weren't behind, right? That they were great, they were on the grade level for their mm-hmm. grade level compared to kids who didn't have access. And they hailed it as the very first successful MOOC was mm-hmm. Sesame Street. Right. I thought it was cool. That's honorable mention, right? Uh, like, it's yeah, four yeah, better than creative. Mention. It's creative. It was a creative okay. study design. I was. I just thought it was cool. All right, number four. Uh, this was from July. This was a science journal. You, you guys should remember this one. Um, this was where they studied how the brain responds when presented with two different methods of reading instruction. So the participants were taught mm-hmm. two different ways to associate mm-hmm. a set of words read aloud to a corresponding set of visual characters. <laughs> then one approach was more phonics-based. One was more whole word memorization. They hooked them up to the EEG machine, remember, and they monitored their brain waves. And they found that the phonics approach activated the left side of the brain where the language regions lie and has been shown to support word recognition. There you go. Boom. So basically, it's like phonics literally stimulates the brain. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a cool study, right? It sure is. All right, cool. Number three. See, this is moving right along. Okay. I like it. I like Number it. Three. By the way, we got to do this for math. I'd be really curious. You know, do some of those common core math problems that is driving all these parents crazy. And, and see and what see. their brain does. Yeah, what kids' brains are doing. For parents, to just make them shut down. Yes, if it just doesn't. We go wouldn't to have sleep. to ask kids to explain their answer. We would just, just look at their brain waves instead yeah, and that's know right. how I they're mean, doing it. What a cool idea that would be. Brain-based standards. Uh, number three. Uh, this was an NBR study from January, going all the way back to January. It examined the causal effect of takeover on student achievement in NOLA's RSD and in Boston. See if you remember this one. This one looked not at the impact of charter schools' admissions lotteries on the performance of kids who applied, but rather on the impact for kids who don't make a choice. So mm-hmm. these are the kids who like passive, they're passive participants. Um, they're just simply grandfathered into the newly constituted school, mm-hmm. right? And bottom line is, lo and behold, the gains for the grandfathered students were at least as large as the gains for those who got in via lottery. Hmm. Boom. Boom. So kids with... Slacker parents do just as well. I mean, they're just there, right? They're grandfathered. I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. I mean, but that's cool. That's a big deal, right? Because we always say, oh, these kids that are, you know, getting the lottery are somehow different from these other kids and so on and so forth. Number two, uh, this was another NBR study. Uh, And this looked at the usual process for identifying gifted students, which is how we do it through parent and teacher referrals. This is Mm -hmm. normally how we identify gifted kids and whether it misses potentially qualified disadvantaged students. And so it looked at a large 
large urban school district. It followed the introduction of a universal screening program for second grade students. With no change in the standards for gifted eligibility, the new screening program led to large increases in the number of disadvantaged students and minorities placed in gifted programs. Nothing wrong with that. That's right. This is why we are big fans of universal screening. This is going to be another big deal, I think, in 2016. There's a lot of energy right now. We are excited about high achievers, thinking about what states might do in their accountability systems to make this sort of thing uh, more common. Mm -hmm. That's right. Is anybody, I mean, is anybody taking it seriously? I know this one study was on this large district. I just don't know whether any other big district is going to take this on. It seems like, you know, just like, here's an idea, here's a rigorous study that showed it had a lot of potential. Now, like, who's going to do it? Right. Right. Look, I think really, we got to connect this with the interest in STEM and getting pipelines Mm -hmm. into STEM of of minority and low-income kids and help people understand that has got to start in elementary school if we're going to make it work. That's right. Do I get a drum roll? This is number one. I'm already down to number one. All right. Thank you very much. This is not an NBR study. It's a Penn State study. It was in July. It's just a simple study. I love when studies actually, I mean, it's just bad to say, but they reiterate what we already kind of know in our gut, Mm -hmm. right? And this was kind of one of those studies. Um, It was about the effectiveness of instructional practices for first grade math students. See if you remember this one. It analyzed data for over 13,000 kindergarten children and found that teachers who taught low performers tended to use as instructional strategies not associated with greater math achievement by these types of students. These not, remember this one, these non-effective practices included manipulatives, Uh, movement, movement, uh, whatever that is, music to learn your math, and calculators. Please stop. Calculators with kindergartners. kindergartners. Teacher-directed instructional strategies were consistently linked with gains in math achievement for low performers. Things like, nobody likes this, right? Drill and kill. Oh, heavens for fan Practice drills. Lots of chalkboard instruction. Yes, the teacher up there just working problems. Mm -hmm. Traditional textbook practice problems and worksheets that go over math skills. Oh. Right. How old fashioned. I'm like, come on. So again and again, all of these like little progressive things that mm-hmm. we think are great, mm-hmm. not associated. Why can't when I just was so exasperated, I'm exasperated. Every time I read about this study, <laughs> kids need to just be taught how to do the math. Right. Yep. Then they need to practice how to do the math a lot. Yes. That's crazy talk. Go get the math. And, and guess what? That is what Common Core calls for in the early grades. Even though that is not well known, right. just That's like right. it's not well known that Common Core calls for a content rich career. Curriculum. That's Somehow, right. yep. our yep. elementary yep. schools, yes. uh, you know, only only want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear, you know, about uh, oh the the conceptual math and, right. and let's do lots of drawings and explain our problems. That's fine. That makes sense when right. the kids get a little bit older. When they're little, oh lord, there was a piece in the Washington Post they last week just that said, "No, their math." Facts. Could you see this? Where it said uh, it was a piece that said that is it a good idea uh, that Common Core calls for uh, children to explain every single problem that they do? Like it doesn't say that. <laughs> Where'd Although you get that park idea? might. That's where they're getting. <laughs> well, on a test is different. They should be yeah. able to explain any answer, right. but it does not follow from that that every single answer must be a, a narrative. It doesn't just like it doesn't follow that everything you read in class under Common Core has to be a close reading. Yep. Now, yes. the, Amber, I, I agree. I love that. And the question to me is for a study like that. So very clear advice to schools. Yes, very to say, advice. Here's how to teach math to kindergartners. Mm-hmm. How do we get 
that information out to the yeah. nation's 50,000 well, elementary number schools. Number one, guess what? Having been in ed school, it's mm-hmm. been a while, but they don't teach that in ed oh, school. Oh, my goodness. Amber. Oh, no, they're teaching you discovery learning and take the kid out and, sorry, Mike, but do a walk and mm-hmm. basket yep. weave and all the stuff your kid's doing in your in, school right now. That's a preschool. It's a preschool. In ed school, <laughs> it's I'm a not making this up. I was literally told that, that time math drills are, quote, child abuse. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh! That's it's what terrible. we're hearing. It's terrible. I like. Lo- I honestly enjoyed memorizing my math times tables. Did you yeah. guys? I thought oh, it was so yeah. cool. Look, I used to sit at the kitchen table with my dad, and yep. he just quizzed me on it. And I was so mm-hmm. proud when I got him off. Oh, and by the way, I shut my classroom door and abused my children. Yeah. We did time drills. <laughs> and, and this is, by the way, where 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 some of the apps out there are going to be helpful. I mean, parents Absolutely. will just find the iPad app where the kids do the flashcards. But and that's the, the problem, Mike. Yeah. Who finds those? The affluent parents, yes. the worried well. It's the kids who need it who don't get it. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, th- th- see, see, Mr. Grinch, Mr. Scrooge. We have to go My out heart on just a- grew three times <laughs> we, a day. All right. We have to go out on a positive note here, people. It's the holidays. That's right. Amber, any That's ideas right. on how to be positive? Um, hmm, wow. I I've got an idea. How about this? If, if you were doing this 10 years ago, right, we would not have been able to find as many high quality studies. Now that is good. Isn't Very that true? good. I, mean, I, I will say I did a lot of NBR studies this past year. You did. But I'm going to try to do better. I really want to try to branch out. Um, and there are some other studies that aren't covered in that particular journal that are high quality. Yeah, but the point is looking. this. There is a lot of good education research that's happening yes. that is useful, that is meaningful, that is helpful to practitioners or policymakers. Right. That was not the case that's right. not so long we ago. We do a much better job actually trying to help teachers address real problems. We I will agree are. with that. Now we got to do what you said, a better job getting it in their hands and in their inbox and mm-hmm. changing some of their minds about some of these strategies. All so, right. Excellent. Everything is awesome. That's all the time we've got, gang. Happy holidays. Until next year, I'm Robert Pendicio. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.